this morning our text will be in Matthew, and we will be in Matthew 6, and we will uh, be looking at 5 through 13, uh, Matthew 6, 5 through 13, and uh, what I'll go ahead and do if we can, we're already standing, but we're going to be standing in reverence of this word, we try to do this every Sunday morning, there is nothing more important than what is getting ready to be read, um, I only offer ideas and thoughts and try to Bring God's word to you this morning as I have found it. And so we're going to pray for that too before I preach. But this morning, let us, let us read and hear from God's word. And it says there at the beginning, this is a, a, a title uh, for this uh, section of, the, of this chapter that is known as the Lord's Prayer. And it starts there in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and At the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespass, neither will your Father forgive you your trespass. This morning, let us pray in regards to this text. Lord, we come before you because we must. Lord, we would not seek to be so trivial, Lord, that we just skip up to the text as if though we had anything worth saying or in our own strength and wisdom that we could even understand. Lord, we call out and cry out to you, Lord. First and foremost, help the word be preached. Lord God, help it to be heard and understood. We love your word here, Lord God. We pray that you'd speak to us this morning through it. May we understand it rightly, and may we respond to it rightly. Oh God, how we love you, we need you. It's in your name we pray. Christ Jesus, amen, amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you so much. Well, this morning, the, the, the title uh, for this sermon is Kingdom-Minded Prayer. It's very simple, and it's simple for a reason. We've been going through a series uh, concerning the kingdom uh, together for the last five weeks as a church. And to, 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 today, we come to the end of that series together. Uh, week one, we did the introduction. We wanted to establish what is the kingdom uh, specifically, uh, number a week two, we looked at kingdom-minded conviction in the way in which we are convicted as people, hopefully, and ultimately as a church, in the way that we make decisions based on the kingdom-mindedness of his people. Week three, kingdom-minded giving, the way that we look at our resources and use those resources for the glory of God and his kingdom. Week four is kingdom-minded relationships. We looked at that last week in partnerships and how we, uh, we make those decisions based on the kingdom of God. This week, week five, I've already said, is kingdom-minded prayer. And it is particularly important uh, in regards to the invitation 
uh, that Scott gave earlier. T- tonight or today about 4.30, we want to invite all of you. It doesn't, if you're a visitor with us, come. Like, it's fine. We love having you this morning. But you could come back tonight if you so desire. We are, we are two churches, Cornerstone Church and College Acres, going to come together we're going to fellowship and hopefully get to know one another uh, as two pillar churches. Regardless of what happens in the future, we're still two churches that are part of the pillar network here in Wilmington. We're going to come together and sing together and worship. But this is what we're going to do. We are going to seek God together for his direction and guidance as churches. And so we're going to come together with another church to pray. And so that is, it is very apropos this morning that we look at this text and understand this as this is what we're even going to be doing this morning, uh, uh, later on uh, this evening. You see, we here at College Acres desire to be a praying people. And please, let me just say this first when I say that. I, I don't want to get lost in the mundane aspect of religion and churchy, uh, churchy, churchiousness. Uh, there you go. Churchiosity. That's a made-up word too, but it just made it real, okay? We don't want to get so caught up in that. I don't want you to hear just prayer for prayer's sake. May we be, and I I want to attach this word to prayer if I may. I want us to be desperate for God in prayer. That's that's really different than just prayer. Desperate and ever dependent upon God in prayer. This morning we will be looking at what has been dubbed or called the Lord's Prayer. I want to say something really quick. It's not that what I'm about to say, or that's wrong. I don't think it's wrong. I think that, that honestly the Lord's Prayer is fine, Uh, But I think that it is probably, to be honest, a poorly named section for this text. And you say, why? Well, first off, I just need to know something real quick. When you see little chapter headings, those are not from, that. those are, we did that, right? God's word is there in letter form. These chapter breakups, we did. So if I say, I don't like the Lord's Prayer, guess what I mean? I don't like the Lord's Prayer. I think that this should be considered the disciples' prayer. Why do you say that, Kyle? Why why would you say that? Well, here's the reason, the big reason for me, is in verse 12. How is it that if Jesus Christ is teaching us how to pray, why would Jesus be asking the Father for forgiveness of sins? It's impossible for Jesus Christ to ask for the Father's forgiveness of sins because we know something about Jesus, don't we? He's perfect, he's sinless, he is God. And so what you have before us You see this in verse 12. Don't get me wrong, in Jesus' humanity, we see him praying and we see him praying often. But this is what I want you to get. And it really doesn't matter if we call it the Lord's Prayer, Disciples' Prayer. It's not that important, truly. No, this prayer serves as a model and a pattern for all true believers in Christ, specifically to disciples here in prayer. For instance, in the NIV, verse 9 of this text this morning states, This then is how you should pray. This then is how you should pray. In the NASB, it is written like this. Pray then in this way. Notice that regardless of the translation, Jesus never says, pray these words or pray uh, or that your prayer should sound exactly like this. No, Jesus says in even our text this morning, This is how you should pray. Further, uh, if you notice something real quick, in Luke uh, 11.1, and I'll go there with you guys, or I'll I'll read it to you, uh, the same aspect and account in Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer that we see here, we see something in 11.1. 
And it says there of his disciples, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Jesus is about to speak. Jesus, the great master teacher, is about to lay out, this is how we should pray. But it came at the back end of a question. Jesus, will you too, will you please show us how we ought to pray? D.L. Moody said this, the, the, the evangelist in Chicago back in the 1800s. He said, I'd rather be able to pray than to be a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach, but he did teach them how to pray. I believe that he did teach them how to preach as well because the Sermon on the Mount and so many they saw Jesus teach. But the point for D.L. Moody here is, I think, it, it is correct. Jesus sought to teach them how to pray. And so what am I saying is that the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer is not to be seen as a prayer to be merely memorized. It is not to be repeated mechanically in religion as if though in and of itself it's something. With little thought and with little care. We should not view this prayer in the same way that we would view a couple other prayers. If, and there's nothing wrong with these prayers. If you're, you remember the prayers. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. How many of y'all ever said that one? Right? And when you're children, it's a beautiful thing. Let's teach children how to pray. Let's teach them how to pray. But let me tell you, I'll be honest. Let me just be honest. Don't get mad at me. Don't throw any apples at me. If you're 32 years old, you've been walking with Jesus for 15 years, and you're going, let us pray. And you're still saying that prayer? I'm going to be like, hey, come on. Let me, let's, let's, look at, let's look at Matthew 6. Like, we, can, we can graduate in prayer. How about this one? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake... As one comedian says, I pray the Lord my soul to take, right? Talk about a scary, that's a scary, that's, that, that's, if I'm a child, that'd freak me out, right? But you know what I'm saying, we pray this prayer, and it's beautiful, I mean, it, honestly, it is, it's a, I'm, not, I'm not making fun of teaching children how to pray, those are great, but there's a moment where when those become so mechanical and so uh, uh, packaged and so memorized that they lose its power and we do not graduate past that, Brothers and sisters, are we really learning how to pray? Are we really seeing how to pray as Jesus would have us pray? No, this text in Scripture is Jesus Christ showing forth his disciples a pattern of this prayer that honors and pleases God. Prayers that are acceptable. Prayers that are kingdom-minded at their core. So now, before we move into the substance of this prayer, allow us to first look at verses 5 and 8. Because I want you to see the comparison in which Jesus first makes with a certain other type or kind of prayer. And so what you have is before we get into the main section of our passage this morning, I want you to see in 5 and 8. 5 and 8, something's going on. Jesus is saying, look, here's a certain type of prayer, and it's in comparison to what I'm going to tell you that looks different. So look with me once again, 5 and 8. And it says there, And when you pray, uh, you must not be like the hypocrites. Uh, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. 
for your father knows what you need before you ask. The, the, the first thing that kind of stands out to me, and I'll give your attention to real quick as we're kind of moving through this section, is the word hypocrites. Uh, the hypocrite is that individual that it, it's, a, it's a language, it's a term from Greek uh, um, um, theater. It's, it's, it's just like they used to have these massively uh, huge masks and they play characters. And they actually have like sections in the mask so they're open so that when you spoke, you could cup it over, you know, you're at a game and you, this big thing, hello, 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 and you can hear a little bit. They were loud. They brought attention to themselves. He said there are, there's a certain type of individual. There's certain people I would, I would consider, you'd have to consider them religious. And what do they do? They're like hypocrites. They love to stand and they love to pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So when they pray, they pray so that you know that they're praying. They pray so that when they pray, you think, man, they know something. It is all about the showy, showy, look at me aspect of prayer. Jesus says, stay away from performance. Stay away from the type of prayer that is showy to seek to gain attention. But he also says something else. He says, don't be like also the Gentiles, or don't be like the Gentiles who heap up. Now, I want you to know, if you're my Australian friends, they love heaps, heaps good. Heap up, though, it means, it means to gather, heap and up in the text means to gather a whole lot of something and put it forward. And what does it say? It says in the text, heap up empty phrases. I mean, it might be one thing to heap up something worthwhile. This thing that you, these individuals, they heap up words that have no meaning. They, they're full of, they, they're lacking of substance. Oftentimes, they may even be done repeated, repeated, repeated. If I say it enough times, maybe God will hear. If I say it enough times, maybe God will hear. If you remember, do you remember the Old Testament when Elijah's going to go and at it with the priests of Baal? And it says for, like, like for hours upon end, they're, they're praying to their God to act. And, 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 and Elijah's not being very nice. He's being kind of sarcastic. I'm not saying he's wrong or sinful. But what does he say? Uh, well, maybe just do it louder. I want you to do it again. Say it some more. And then he goes even further and say, maybe your God's using the bathroom and predisposed at the moment. By your empty, you're just throwing up empty, th you're just saying it louder as if something's going to happen. You say it enough times as if God will finally go, okay, what do you want? He says, look, do not be like the hypocrites. Do not be of those who heap up empty phrases. It's lifeless, it's hollow, it's action as words. He says here, do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Brothers and sisters in this section, what Jesus Christ is saying to us is that we, he seeks for those who pray, listen to me, to pray with simplicity. Pray with simplicity. Pray with everyday language. I, I'm often, I wasn't, I mean, I, I started going to church a little later in life, but I, I, I remember like people who spoke, I'm from Gastonia, North Carolina, okay? You, you, thank you very much. Thank you very much. We've been making fun of Gastonia this morning, Okay. And you can't make fun of Gaston if you're not from there. It's just wrong, right? It just hurts my feelings. No, we've been making fun of, I, I, you, we have a vocabulary. We, we could, you know, there's just something going on in there. And I can't, I can't tell you how many times I used to watch people who would talk to people at church or be in, out downtown, and they speak to me like I'm speaking to you right now. And then when it came time to pray, you get people at the church house, and all of a sudden, people who talk like me right now, or all of a sudden, Lord, have mercy. 
Heavenly Father, doth thy lead out. And I remember going to kid going, he don't talk to me like that. He doesn't talk to her like that. Why are they talking? It's almost as if like, this is holy language. This is King James language. God hears King James language, by the way. He doesn't understand your redneck Gastonia accent, right? But King James language, if you're from Gastonia and you're a redneck and you talk like this, if you, keep, if you talk King James, God goes, now I'm listening. No, come on, guys. This is not the way prayer works. Jesus says it's simplicity. It's the language of every day. Talk to him. In other words, if you are uneducated in this room this morning, I want to give you hope. I want to give you good news. Come to Jesus uneducated. If you are educated in this room, come to Jesus educated. The issue is come to Jesus. Wherever you are, come to Jesus. Come. But when you come, come without pretense. Come without showiness. Come without this idea that somehow by your many words and the way in which you say it, God will now absolutely hear you. This should be seen and understood as the trap or the danger of religiosity. I, I put that, that literally says it in my notes, religiosity. I made it real, right? It's, it's superficial. It's a superficial form of religion. However, there is yet another danger in the life of the church and among God's people. You can fall off the saddle on both sides of this thing that I'm about to talk to you about in prayer. The one aspect is what we looked at in 5 and 8. Be careful not to pray like this. Be careful not to be like this. And then on the other end of this, on the other side, there's another danger and fear. And you say, what is it, Kyle? It's prayerlessness altogether. In the life of the believer and the church, it doesn't look like what we just said above, but it's not praying at all. And we can fall on both sides of this issue when it comes to prayer. Uh, there's a quote by a man by the name of Ian Bounds, and he said this. He has a lot of quotes on prayer. Ian Bounds once said this. This is not a praying age. It is an age of great activity, of great movements, but one in which the tendency is very strong to stress the seen and the material and to neglect and discount the unseen and the spiritual. We are in danger of substituting churchly work and a ceaseless round of showy activity for prayer and holy living. A holy life does not live in the prayer closet, but it cannot live without the closet. C.H. Spurgeon said, Neglect of private prayer is the locust which devours the strength of the church. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite authors, has said this about prayerlessness. Bibles read without prayer sermons heard without prayer, engagements to marriage without prayer, travel undertaken without prayer, homes chosen without prayer, friendships formed without prayer, the daily act of private prayer itself hurried over or gone through without heart. These are the kind of downward steps by which many a Christian depends, or excuse me, descends to a condition of spiritual paralysis or reaches the point where God allows him to have a tremendous fall. And then lastly, Samuel Chadwick, Puritan said, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. 
He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Why do you think that Satan would tremble when we pray? Because when we don't pray, what we show up to is this moment, even with sin and hell and the flesh in the world, and we show up and we say, Satan, you ready to go toe-to-toe with me? And Satan goes, yeah, let's do it. But when we are a praying people, we show up and say, God, we're about to fight. Would you help us? God says, I am pleased when you ask for my help because I can surely do it. When we don't pray, we say to God, we don't need him. And we show up and we're fools for it. We're going to show up and show out. You had better make sure that God is on our side when we do. And so Samuel Chaddock, I believe, has it right. Look, prayerlessness, church, is direct disobedience to the command of Christ when he says in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray. Prayerlessness is a direct disobedience to the word of God when in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he says, pray without ceasing. Prayerlessness is dependence on self, our strength and our wisdom, rather than on God's. And I want you to see how this played out for the nation of Israel when you look at in, in Isaiah 30, 1 through 2. Isaiah 30, 1 through 2. And it's said there in Isaiah 30, O stubborn children, O stubborn children. And, and let me just stop real quick, because at that point we go, yeah, the Israelites, they always are stubborn children. But we're much better. No. No, this is like, it's written for the nation of Israel, but let me just tell you, it carries on after every, 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 every generation after. Oh, you stubborn children. He declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, and who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Can you imagine, after all that God had done for the nation of Israel, they don't even come to him in their time of need and they want to run back to Egypt. So here we are. Be careful how you pray. Be careful of the motive when you pray. And be careful of prayerlessness. Yes, both of these things. Now the disciples look to Jesus and ask, teach us how to pray. So this morning, what I want us to do, we're going to turn over and we're going to look at now 9 through 13. I want you to see the substance of Jesus' prayer. And we are here this morning, and hopefully we're here to learn. I, I pray that your, your question is the same as the disciples right now as we get ready to look at 19 through 13, and that's this. Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Jesus says, surely I will. 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. Following the initial address as God as Father, something's about to happen, but for, let, me, let me do this first. Guys, do you understand something? Following the initial address, we're going to look at right in here in a second. We're going to go into that. We're going, to, we're going to expound on that. The first thing that I want you to realize and understand when it comes to prayer is this. 
It's already been spoken even in five, uh, five uh, up above us, five and eight. Look at nine and 13. Here's the thing. It says here, pray them like this. Jesus says, our Father in heaven. Stop. To me, to me, personally, the Lord's prayer could stop right there. We, rebel sinners, enemies of God, slaves to unrighteousness, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can come to the throne room of grace and we can look at the God of the universe and say, Father, Father, the intimacy that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ to come to the throne of grace and look at God and say, Father. After this, now we see Father is established. We then see six petitions or characteristics of this prayer by Jesus. The first three concern God. They concern his glory. They concern his kingdom. And they concern his will. The last three concern mankind, life's necessities, forgiveness of sins, and deliverance from evil. In this is an important reality in prayer, brothers and sisters. I believe that what you see in the breakup, Jesus is doing something here for us. The first three are there for a reason. The the second set of three are there for a reason in the course of this prayer. A reality that not, not only does Jesus express here in our text, however, Jesus modeled in his own life, ministry and prayer life. And the question is, what is it then, Kyle? What is it? And here's the answer. True prayer just like every other aspect of worship, true worship. And here, prayer, prayer that pleases the Father is prayer that starts with and has foundation of first importance upon his name, his kingdom, and his will, even before it ever gets to addressing our needs. It's a lot like the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, if you remember, the first three are uh, horizontal, or excuse me, uh, vertical commandments. The first three commandments are set up for reason. He says this, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind. all these things, do not bow and make uh, images uh, uh, idols, it, all these, do not take the Lord's name in vain. These things that we see in the Ten Commandments, the first three go upwards to God. The next seven are vertical and how we love one another. Love God, love others. This is the summation of the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments. By the way, we in this room cannot love God, and we cannot actually love each other very well at all. That's why we need Jesus, who fulfilled the law of God perfectly. But nonetheless, it is the model. It's what we strive for. And just like the Ten Commandments starts with God first, then goes vertically, I want you to see something about the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer here in Matthew 6. It also goes vertically, excuse me, horizontally, and then it goes vertically. Thank you so much. You're an engineer, right? That's how you knew that, right? You're like, no, you're like, you're like, it's not because I'm an engineer, it's because I'm not from Gastonia. That's what you're trying to say, right? <laughs> I get you. All right. Hey, see me afterwards. I'll talk to you about something. We'll pray about something real quick. Um, <laughs> thank you, but it's true though. And so this is what we have. You see that modeled in uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments. You see it modeled in the Lord's Prayer here. And I think that is absolutely important for us this morning. It is important. In our own day, the order of prayer from that which Jesus teaches and models here is often reversed, if we're really honest, isn't it? Many, sadly even in the church, often begin with the human needs and desires 
God, give me, give me. God, I need, I need. God, I'm coming to you because I have an issue. Uh, one, someone once said that uh, many, uh, many people today, uh, they, they view prayer like a, a, a man in the Navy uses, uh, has a bucket, only needed when the water starts coming in. And unfortunately, uh, we, we get so caught up in our needs and our desires, and today I'll come before you, God. I've got a, I've got a laundry, laundry list of ideas and thoughts that I need. And we start there, never, ever even, maybe even getting around to God in his glory at all. We get so rushed on self and bored with God. We look at God merely as a genie in a bottle. You seek to rub him, and poof, here I am. What can I do for you? This morning, I want us to look at these three petitions together this morning. Let's stare at them a little closely before we move on. So this morning, I want you to look at something that Jesus said. He says, first and foremost, Father in heaven. Then he says, these three petitions, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is an old English word used to translate a form of the Greek hagiazo. It's just a word. It's just a word. It's Greek. For this word, hallowed, which means to make holy. To make holy. Holy means to be set apart. It means to be sacred. It means to revered. And I want you to know something in the text this morning. You don't arrive at Matthew 6 and make God holy. It's not hallowed be your name to make God holy. God is holy whether you choose to make him holy or not. Isn't that a good news for us? He is even if you don't say he is. It's not a matter that we make God holy. He is holy. The fact is that when we come to God in prayer, do we show forth our own belief that God is holy? Do we arrive at him as being the Holy One of Israel? Listen, when the, when, 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 while the God to whom we pray is personal and caring, as we've already established, we call him Father, he is nonetheless the holy and sovereign God in, all, in, in whom all honor, all reverence and respect is to be given. In our prayers, there need always be this tension in praying. Yes, we speak to God in the gospel as men and women who need not ever fear. Amen? We can come to God without any fear whatsoever. Isn't that beautiful? And yet there's this tension. We speak to God in the gospel as men and women who need not fear. Yes, and yet we speak to God as those who respond to him, understanding who we speak to in our flesh and do to sin. There has to be this, this, this trembling confidence. Confidence, fear. And I don't mean fear and awe and gratitude. In respect of the one who deems is deemed worthy of all respect. Both of these should be seen. Both of these should be established and experienced in our prayers. Again, like so many other areas of religion, we must, not, must be careful of the extremes in this. On one end, as believers of Jesus Christ in this room, to make God your homeboy. How you approach him, how you trivialize him, how we try to make him so approachable to the lost that we need not, that they need not tremble at all. Let's bring God so far down to the common, the lowest common denominator that he actually looks like Uncle Steve. He doesn't hurt a fly. Everybody likes Steve. God, God ain't Steve. God is God. 
And we can, we can apply all kinds of reasons for doing so. Well, we're trying to reach people. We're trying to help them. If you want to reach people, give them the magnitude of who God is so they can tremble, bow before him, respond to him, and worship him like they should. How much can we hate people not to say, to say hey, you know, you need Jesus. Oh, yeah, who's Jesus? He's this, this little thing. What? He's in my... Here's God. Oh, I'll pass. cannot bring God so small, and yet many of us, I'm not saying us, I'm just talking about in generalities and in humanity, we bring God so small in our prayers, either in corporate prayer or even in our private prayer. May we not come to God and try to make God much like us just a little smidge bit better. This is not an appropriate witness to his holiness, his magnitude, and his supremacy. If you want to make God, if you want, hallowed be your name, to make holy your name, then the rest of the world needs to see that you believe that God is holy. You want to bring people into a closer relationship with Jesus? Do so for you having reverence for God that they may follow and emulate. Don't bring it down. Hallowed be your name. Be careful of this, but on the other end, be careful of this too. A God who is like the kid with the magnifying glass at the ant mound. Like, in other words, don't, don't come to God in a way that the world watches us go, here I am, Lord. And, and you're sitting there and you're like, you're just waiting for him to zap you. Like, you're scared that he's going to get the magnifying glass on a sunny day and it's going to zap. Ooh! You don't want the world to look at you fearful of God like he's, like he's going to smack you at every turn. Ugh! Like my dad used to do growing up. My dad spanked me every day of my life. He spanked me at nighttime. I didn't even do anything wrong. I said, Dad, why are you spanking me? He says, to get started on the next day. This is not God. It's not to be seen as a picture of God. So when we pray, bring his name into a hollowed state. Revere it and let the world see you revere it. But at the same time, we are children of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. We come to him without fear. May both be seen in our walk, in our love of Jesus Christ in the gospel, and here specifically in our prayer life. But I want to give a clarification. While the rest of the world wants to make Jesus very approachable, we don't want to make him, we don't want people fear at all. I need to say one thing, though. In the gospel, we need not fear. That's the truth. However, apart from the gospel, it is appropriate to fear. Hebrews 10, 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Apart from Jesus Christ, everyone, look, I'll calm down. I'm just passionate. I'm not, please, he's mad. I'm not mad. I'm excited. But let me just calm down so I can say this. Because I, too, was you. And what I'm about to say, if this is you, brothers and sisters, if you were here this morning without a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you're not a disciple of Christ. Fear, 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 fear. You have need to run to Jesus. Here's the thing. Run, because when you do, you will be found. His arms are open wide. We call him Father. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Again, such prayer is first God-centered before it becomes preoccupied with man and self. Remember what the kingdom is. We looked at this already. It is the rule and the reign of Christ. And this is on the mind of the believer in their prayer to God before we ever seek to lay out that laundry list of requests to God. In other words, in your prayers, 
Do you at all focus on the idea and joy of praying for more of God? When you pray and when you start praying, longing for more of God, to experience more of God. In other words, God and all that is on my heart and mind this morning, this night, before I lay out my needs and request to you, O God, let me first request this. May my first request be this. May I know you more. May I understand you more. May I love you more. May I long for you each day. May I serve you more. May I live as a witness to your goodness and as a focus of my life more. God, help me, I pray. This is my first request. Because when believers pray this prayer, not only are they still hallowing the name of God, but they are saying, your kingdom come. This is the preoccupation of our hearts to before you, O oh God. The question is, does your soul hunger? Does it thirst? Does it pray with such a zeal for you to know and understand him more? This is the type of prayer. Lord God, may your kingdom come. And your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. James 4, 1 through 3 says this. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And listen, you do not ask, or excuse me, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the desire of the disciple of Jesus Christ. Not my will, O oh God. Your will be done. He says you do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We are not preoccupied with the passions of our own hearts and souls. And, I'm not, and you're going to see in a minute, we're going to turn the flip. We're going to flip the switch right here in a second. But before we flip the switch to the area of what we need, brothers and sisters, let me tell you something right now. If you're a believer in this room, and I say this with all the love I can muster, I've got to calm myself down so you don't think I'm angry. I'm not. If you're a believer in this room, and your ultimate need isn't more of God and his glory, and your need of that next paycheck or that thing, is so more all-consuming than your desire to grow to be more like Jesus Christ every day you live? Come talk to me this week. we got to talk. There needs to be something that reorients in your life, something we're missing in this thing called being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Notice I didn't say anybody is not a believer. I didn't say that. He said I'm not a believer. No, no, no. Come and talk and talk soon. This is not healthy the life of the believer. This is not one who's kingdom-minded. This is not someone who prays for God's will to be done. While this phrase can really be seen as a pairing with the previous, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven, there is still yet an amazing truth established here. No matter what we desire and ask, the believer says, Lord, don't grant me, don't grant me any request if it is not in accordance to your will, your greater glory, and your plans. Yes, anything I pray tomorrow or this morning or like tonight or tomorrow night, brothers and sisters, the, the believer says, Lord God, and I say this, don't grant this thing that I ask for if it's going to bring your name down low. Don't give me this thing if it is not good for me, oh God. Your will be done, not my will be done. 
The great theologian once said, Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Garth Brooks. Is that Garth Brooks? I thought it was. Thank you very much. There's truth in it. God, if it's not good for me, I don't want it. But God, if there is any chance, this is what, listen, if there is any chance that you would desire to receive from this or that glory, God, if it would please you to grant this or that, Lord, we ask, I would even go a step further, we beg of you to act and respond, oh God, give us this thing. I remember being at a men's conference in Iowa, and I remember this being on full display there. I was doing a men's conference, there's about like six, I forget how many, there was a lot of guys there, Elijah, six, eight hundred, six, eight hundred men. And we're doing this, uh, this, this, uh, this conference. And right towards the end of the conference, there's a man in the back, and people just bring him up to the front, almost as if like I'm just finished preaching. The, all eyes are on me. They bring him forward and go, this man has stage four cancer. And he only has, a, he, he, he's been told he will not live very long. Can we, will you pray for him tonight? Will you pray for it? God would heal him? Okay, at this moment, I'm going, oh no. Here it comes. I remember praying before I prayed, God, help me, to, help me to know how to do this situation. Do this right. Do, how do I do this justice? Everybody likes to spiritualize. I'm really, I'm like, oh, no, here we are. I bring the, get the man forward. I asked him, do you believe that God can heal you? He said, yes, I believe that God can heal you. My response to him is, I also believe that God can heal you. With 100%. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He's still knitting together today. He can heal you now, and we're going to pray for that. Do you also believe that it could be God's will not to heal you? Now, this man was stuck in a situation. I asked him before everyone, and I'm going to tell you, that room was full of different thoughts in that moment. A lot of different theological persuasions. But I remember something that the Apostle Paul said, and I asked this man this. Do you care for God's glory above everything? Yes. Do you care for God's glory whether you live or you die? Yes, because the Apostle Paul said something. Whether by my life or by my death, what does he say? Lord God, receive all glory. Amen? Whether, whether I live or I die, it does not matter. God, all I want is your glory to be done. I said, do you desire more than anything else for God's glory to be established in you? And his response was yes. I said, let's get to praying. Now we're ready to pray. And we prayed for that man's healing. God, if you, could receive, if you will, God, receive much glory from this man's healing. Be it such a way that no one can explain what's going on. I pray that he walks out of this room and cancer is gone and people bow on their face before God and worship him because he's the God who can heal. And he can, does he? And he does it every single day. At the same time, I looked at that man and I said, I also want to pray that if it is not God's will for you to, to be healed this morning, my prayer is that you would smile and you would sing and you would die well for the glory of God. And he said, that's all I desire. It made it a very easy time of prayer. I don't know if that man was ever healed. I don't know. I left that thing. But one thing I pray that he was healed and it received much glory for God in that. But if he wasn't, I pray that he, he died uncommon. And what I mean by that is we as believers of Christ Jesus, we just die differently, don't we? May that be for the glory of God, whether by my life or by my death. Oh, God, receive glory, we pray. Your will be done, not our will, oh, God. Contrary to much emphasis in the evangelical church today, true prayer, like true worship, centers on God's glory, not on man's needs. It is not simply to lay claim on God's promises, much less make demands on him, but to acknowledge his sovereignty, to seek the display of his glory, and to obey his will. And listen, this is the joy of the believer. 
For the mature believer or the disciple of Christ, the heart and focus of first importance in prayer must be, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that is is in heaven. And here's the question. What is the gasoline to the flame of such prayer? The gasoline that is for that flame, for that prayer, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Knowing who we were and what we were apart from Jesus. New, outlook, new outlooks and new loves and new desires for God. We become kingdom-minded people. Now, before we close this sermon this morning, allow us to turn our attention first to the last three petitions. Those are the first three. They're put in order, I think, for a reason. I think Jesus, and I think, can I say, I think Jesus knew what he was doing. Do y'all agree with that? I think there's purpose behind it. And I think that there's purpose behind these last three. And he says there, and I want you to know that these are not to be seen in the Christian life as non-important. They are vital. However, their order within the example of Jesus' prayer should not be ignored. And we won't. Give us this day our daily bread. Yes, God cares about our earthly needs. And our Lord is such a wonderful Father. Yes, Father. That it delights Him for us to acknowledge that even in the most mundane things in life. And by the way, mundane for God, not mundane for us. Eating is important to us. It's not mundane. You know, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, take it or leave it. No, you need it. But even in these things, God cares. There is nothing wrong with that laundry, that laundry list of needs. I'm telling you this. Please hear me. You can put that in your notes. Kyle said, I can ask a lot of things. Do it. It pleases the Lord. Many desires to be made known to God. Again, the issue is, have we and do we first place these things in proper order perspective? Look with me, if you will, Matthew 6, 33. It says there, we've already looked at this, but seek ye first the what? The kingdom of God and all these things, all these other things will what? Be added unto you. You preoccupy yourself with the kingdom. Let God be the provider. This is the heart of the disciple. And we depend on God for such things. When we pray for food, clothing, that new job or healing, whether for ourselves or for others, which is always good, the desire to be married, God's wisdom, leading and clarity in the decision in life, have we done so in proper understanding and desire for his glory and his will above all else? In other words, has God's glory and kingdom become the prism in which we view all the other requests? Lord, give us this day our daily bread. We need you, Lord, for sustenance. We depend on you for sustenance. Keep our eyes focused on the kingdom. But at the same time, Lord God, we ask that you would help us as we seek your kingdom. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here we see in our text, forgive us of our debts. Some of your versions may say trespasses. What I want you to know is don't hone in on debts. Don't hold on to trespasses alone. It, it really it can be, it, it's sin. Forgive us of our sins. It does not mean that believers need to ask daily for justification. Since believers are justified forever from the moment of initial saving faith. And I, want, I need to say something because I love you too much and I've seen too many people kill themselves in religion because of this. I just want to deliver you from it. I want to make this abundantly clear. This is not prayer or confession in order to earn or keep salvation. Can I please say that right now? 
This idea, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. This is not the situation where I want you to think, Lord, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. One second, Lord. Hey, have I offended you at all today? I had. Ask anybody else in the office that I offend them too. Okay. Oh, Sally's upset. Thank you, I needed that. And Lord, I just want to pray that I forget. Looking for, God, listen. Confess sin. Speak to God about it. Speak with each other about it. But listen to me. I need you to know something. It is not as if though you're coming to God. He is father. You are child. You're not coming to him saying, Lord God, forgive me. And if, you don't, if I don't ask forgiveness for that thing that I can't remember, that God won't hear me anymore. That is not, that's a lie straight from the pits of hell. He listens to you because of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our advocate. So on those weak days that you feel as if God can't love you or hear you, know this, he loves his son. Isn't this good news? Because if it was up to us for God to hear us every day, he would see nothing in us to hear us or our requests. This is all made possible because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rather, this is a prayer for the restoration of persons or excuse me, personal fellowship with God when fellowship has been hindered due to a particular sin or debts or trespasses. Failure to give what is owed to God or expected to give towards man is the debtedness. What I mean by that is this. Forgive us of our debts. Forgive us when we owe something to you, O God, and we do not give it. Forgive us for that. God, forgive us. And it says in our text, For the debts, excuse me, as we have forgiven our debtors, those who owe us something or we owe them, but we don't give them in the gospel. Forgive us of these things, O God. When we do not give you what you are due and owe, and when we don't love others around us in the same way that you caused us to, I would suggest that this petition is also remembrance and gratitude in prayer towards God for, for forgiveness we have found in Jesus Christ the gospel. That's why the picture is before us. Such a remembrance in daily prayer is both a continual reminder for us every single day of how we are to treat one another in relationship and community. And yet look at the second portion of this petition. Forgive us our debts as we have, excuse me, as we also have, past tense, forgiven our debtors. As we also have forgiven our debtors, there is a massive lesson here in Jesus' model prayer. Do you ask God what you yourselves are unwilling to bestow and give to others? Grace, mercy, and forgiveness. If so, do not be so sure that you will receive any blessing because in this moment you're being like what Jesus said, you're being hypocrites. You see that if you say, Kyle, you lie. I don't lie because God, Jesus Christ, God says so in verse 14 and 15 of our text this morning. For if you forgive others their trespass or debt or sins, Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespass, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. We are indebted to God. We are indebted to others because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We come to God and say, God, forgive us of our debts. Forgive us of our trespass. As we have forgiven others who have trespassed against us and sinned against us. You are able to pray such a prayer because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you have a theme here, guys? If you want to be a really, 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 really good prayer, Really, really, really love the gospel of Jesus Christ. It helps us to know how to pray. Lastly, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This phrase, 
on the surface may seem like two requests, but in fact, it is two sides of the same request or coin. The inclusion of a request for God not to lead us into temptation can be also translated trials in our text. And it teaches us that avoiding temptation unto sin should be one of the primary concerns of the Christian life. We are to, as believers, stay away from it. Run from it. You remember Joseph in Potiphar's house when, uh, when a certain uh, Potiphar's wife said, Hey, Joseph, looking good today. Have you looked at me? And she grabs him, and he runs. Does he go, well, let's talk about how you're crossing the line. You know, I'd like to talk with you a little bit, but this is going a little too far. What did Joseph do? Woo! So much so that he was left in his skivvies, which I'm sure didn't look good. Oh, I know what he was up to over there. No, he was running. We should run from these things. And this is important. It says here, look, I want you to see something. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not is not to suggest that God leads us into temptation or is the tempter of sin. This is absolutely not true. Scripture tells us very clearly in James 1.13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Now we're not asking God or Christ Jesus not to lead us into temptation. Rather, it is the request from man to God to lead us from or away from temptation, which would tempt us to sin. Such injunction is further clarified. If you look, if you want to know why this is so, lead us not into temptation. Look what the next section says. But what? Deliver us from evil or the evil one. God, lead us away from sin. Deliver us away from temptation or the evil one church to be a disciple of jesus christ is to rebel against the worldly idea that sin is normal and inevitable it is to rebel against the world system of ungodliness the dishonoring and the rejecting of christ and also disobedience of his believers to pray for righteousness is to pray against wickedness to pray for god's will to be done is to pray for satan's will to be undone Herein lies the heart and the passion of the disciple of Jesus Christ from the first petition, three petitions, to the very last here at the end of this prayer. I leave this for you in illustration before I go into conclusion. I know even family members of my own who seem to care little for God's glory in life. The decisions that they make, the way that they live their lives devoid of God, who often I found sometimes where they're praying to God. And I've always thought it was kind of odd when someone says there's a sickness in the house or the family or something's happened with someone and say, we're praying for such and such. We're praying for such and such. I'm going, you're praying for such and such? Great. Great. I remember one day someone having a flat tire and I went to go help them fix their tire. And when I went and helped that person fix their tire, they said this, I don't even know all these bad things are happening to me. I even went to church two weeks ago. Well, look at you. You're amazing. Why, why, would, God, why would God ever allow you to have a flat tire? You, where, where's, the, where's the Christian trophy of excellence? This is the one. Yeah. But that's the thought. 
How many celebrities? I watched uh, Mr. Hamlin fall on the, on, on the NFL uh, field. And, and literally, he did. He, he died. He died. He, he was revived back, but he died. And I saw, and I loved it. I, and I'm not going to get me wrong. I loved all the things I heard on radio and talk radio. We were praying for him. We were lifting up prayers to him. We are praying, praying for his family. And I say, praise God. Let us do that and do more of that and as a culture. We need to do more prayer. How many of us are making requests and prayers to God? But I wonder in those prayers, is there any and ever any regard for deliverance from sin or from the evil one? In any of those prayers, is there ever any regard for God's glory, even that glory, even if that glory were to be given in the begging God to change and sanctify us in the accordance to his will? No, many just want or need a thing, and so they go to God and they pray as if they're, poof, come and show me. But do they do it in regards to his glory? Do they do it in regards to his fame? Do they do it in regards to his kingdom? Such prayer without these things is worthless prayer. They're worthless prayer. And I know that's not very popular in our culture. I get it. But it just so happens to be Jesus says so. Conclusion. Church, listen. Prayer honors God. Because it declares to him that we are ever in need of his wisdom, his strength, and his provision. To not pray is to practice pride against God. Prayerlessness says, God, we got this, and we really don't need you. But if we do, we'll let you know. Some of you today may say, I just cannot pray. And and I want to tell you something. that, bother, that bothers me in, in a good way. Like, I love you. I love you. I don't want you to feel that way. I don't want you to feel that way. You say, I cannot pray for whatever the reason is, whether it be besetting sin. If it's sin, come and talk to someone. I don't want that for you. If it's laziness, I don't want that for you. If it's lostness, because you're lost, I don't want that for you. If it's immaturity in Christ, but I don't want that for you. Brothers and sisters, listen. If you are truly a believer, you cannot afford not to pray. And I want to end the sermon with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. And I hope that every just listen, church, listen. Not to pray because you do not feel fit to pray is like saying, I will not take medicine because I am too ill. Pray for prayer. Pray yourself by the Spirit's assistance into a praying frame. Pray until you can pray. Pray to be helped to pray. And do not give up praying because you cannot pray. For it is when you think you cannot pray, that is when you are to be found praying. Cry out to God. The very action of crying out to God says something to him which he loves very dearly. God, I'm here today. Because I need you. The gospel says, God, if I'm ever to stand before him in glory, you are here today because I needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I want to end by giving you my own conviction. I feel like a worm preaching this message. Now I'll say at the end, now you tell us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses or debts as we have forgiven those. 
How often have I said the prayer? How often have I thought about the prayer? And how little did I give it attention? Jesus was not telling us to say the Lord's Prayer. Jesus was looking at his disciples and saying to us, this is how you should pray. May we pray desperately for God because we desperately need him. So this morning, I just want to say to you, pray for your pastor that I become a better prayer. And when I am weak and I feel like I can't pray, that is when we need to pray. This morning again, I offer you an invitation. Come together tonight uh, as we two churches come together to pray as churches together. This morning, what I want us to do so we can is the music team, if you want to come on up this morning. If you have been a part of this series, I have not, please don't, I hope you don't get mad. I have not cared about time. Have y'all noticed that? Because do you know how much I really wanted to preach even more than this? I had to fit it in here. God is good. So this morning, I'm going to pray for us, and I want to invite you to respond to what you have heard. Respond in your, uh, in your prayer. Sit where you are. Don't get up if that's fine. Pray. If it's to come forward to the altar, pray. If it's to sing at the top of your lungs in reverence to God, do so. Hallowed be your name. But this morning, regardless, don't just sit there. Respond. But this morning, let us pray as we seek to respond to God and all that he is. And we first and foremost go to him this morning with the title, Father.